We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 320. Our guest today is an international show jumper who splits his time between the U.S. and the Netherlands. He was born into an equestrian family both his parents rode when he was younger, and him and his brother experienced, you know, life with horses and being a part of a horse family at an early age. He continued to ride, had a great junior career, and now has goals and aspirations to be at the top levels, breaking into the top 10 in worldwide rankings. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Lucas Porter. Hey, Lucas. Hey, Bethany, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Nice to uh, nice to be on here with you guys and uh, yeah. have a chat today. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'd love to hear how you first found yourself in the equestrian industry. Sure. So, um, I'm 25 years old now. Uh been riding pretty much my entire life. I live split my time now between uh South Florida here in Wellington and then the rest of the months I'm over in Europe based in the Netherlands, but um I have grown up my whole life riding. I grew up in Texas uh on a ranch on our family's ranch in Texas and uh horses were a part of my parents' life when they were younger. My dad played a little polo and my mom actually competed in show jumping when she was a, a younger younger girl. And um, on our ranch, we had some Western horses that uh, my brother and I would take out. And uh, one day, we it was actually my brother that put two buckets and a plank of wood held up by the two buckets and jumped his Western horse over a Western pony at that time <laughs> nice. over the two buckets. And uh, and that's, that's really how it started uh, with my brother initially jumping and then sort of me looking up to him and then wanting to do what he was doing and even better. And that's how, that's how we started. And then it sort of grew from there. Obviously entered into the, into the pony ranks. And then uh, as I grew older through the junior ranks, and then now as a professional for, for seven years, just sort of has grown from, from those initial experiences back in Texas. Was there a specific point in time where you were like, you know, where you kind of like had that switch go off where it was like, not just a family thing, not so just something you want to do for fun, but like something you could see, you know, a career for yourself in the future? Yeah, for sure. I think I was fortunate to, my brother and I were fortunate to actually win the individual gold medal at the junior and North American Young Rider Championships back in 2015. Yeah, 2015, I think. Uh, and uh, it's a few years ago now, I can't really... <laughs> could have been 2014 maybe even I'm I'm not exactly sure how the year but that was a really nice nice moment for for my brother and I especially but uh for our family as a whole because we we were successful uh sort of as a junior and then my brother was at that time sort of 18 19 thinking of maybe turning professional and then sort of taking it more seriously from that um and then we had that initial that that sort of success and then a few years later after that we we uh, started training with Drone Double Dam from the Netherlands and started making the, the sort of yearly move over to Europe. Uh, and we've been doing that for seven years now. So I would say those two moments, like sort of 
having the having the success at sort of the championship level, it, even though in the junior young rider ranks, having success in the championship atmosphere and then sort of starting that initial yearly yearly migration, if you want to put it, over to Europe uh, is where sort of we sort of realize that this is going to be something that's we're going to be a part of uh, for the rest of our life, you know? Definitely. Um, we, we sort of transition to sort of a sport stable to also sport and, and dealing stable when we made that move over to Europe. And now we, uh, we buy, we have young orders over there that, that, that are being produced by us in the summer and then by some other folks in the winter so that we can come down here with the sort of the horses that have now grown older and we compete them here in Wellington and then go back over to Europe and then, and then continue producing sort of the next, hopefully stars of the future. Yeah. Obviously a lot of programs, you know, really do well with the splitting the time between the U.S. and Europe. Um, what prompted your decision to be able to, you know, kind of split that time and and why the Netherlands? What, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, so our first year going over to Holland, Netherlands, as, as the country is known, actually, um, we started training with Drone Double Dam at the end of 2015, Jerome came over here to Florida and uh, sort of saw, sort of had a feeling of what, what horses we we had and then met us and, and my family. And that was sort of our introduction. And then we worked together for the WEF of 2016. And then sort of at the end of WEF, then we he said, listen, I'd, I'd like to continue further working together. Uh, I would like you guys to come over to, to Europe and, and continue tra- working with me and, and training with me and we we thought it would be sort of really a, a a summer deal, you know, like go for for the summer and then come back at the end of the summer, come back to America for the fall, and then sort of do WEF again, and then have uh, have him fly back as much as he can. And uh, it turned out that we flew over that April of 2016 and stayed until November, wow. and competed more and more over there. The WEF of 2017 rolled around. Uh, we were still working together and growing. Our riding was was improving. There's becoming, we'd like to think it's become more polished. Our flat work has improved. Uh, overall management of the horses improved. The planning of, of the whole stable uh, has improved. The sort of learning of producing young horses would not have been possible and is still not possible without uh, the knowledge that we've, we've um, been gaining from drone. But so yeah, that, that, that progression, that's how the, the sort of European scheduling or European migration came into our program. And then um four years ago now we we uh bought the stable next to drone stable in the Netherlands. So uh now we have our permanent base there. Uh we did we did some renovations to it. So now it's really, really a, a, a stable that's suited to our our needs and to the needs of the horses that that we hope to have in our team. It gives us a base that we can go to the shows from and come back to sort of a home away from the United States. And actually over the last sort of five years, I've actually even spent more time in Europe than I have in the United States. But I do, my goal is to spend six months here in the United States and six months in Europe, just because both environments offer sort of opportunities that the other one doesn't offer. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, uh, for example, as an American, obviously like competing in the United States, you know, compete at the moment right now, only during the winter equestrian festival here in Wellington. But that being said, I'd like to sort of grow that out to also be here sort of October through December as well, just to 
to get that just to get a little more action here in the United States. And then uh, in the summertime for the great competitions over in Europe. Yeah, there's there, those are awesome. You know, you can go each week of the entire summer. You can go from a national show all the way up to a five star event. Uh, and that being said, you can also uh, there's that's where sort of majority of the show jumping horses are produced. Um, and so then you get obviously exposure to to that entire market. And for our young horses that we have in our program already, it's a lot it's a lot cheaper for our stable to have them over there. And then once they're sort of eight years old. They can come over here to the United States and then and then show show what they've really got at the higher ranks. Definitely. For for someone listening who maybe hasn't had the experience of seeing a show or being a part of a show in Europe, what would you say are some of the biggest differences between competing in Europe and pe- competing in the United States? So the majority of the shows in Europe are some of them are sort of one off shows that um, organizers put up at a at a certain location that are sort of one week of the year and this is the show uh, and it's sort of a three or four day show. And it's, yeah, they put a lot of effort into it. A lot of the sponsors support it for that one week of the year. So it's, it's really focused on that event. There's also a few, for sure, a few tour events where there's multiple weeks or something like that. But um, most of the shows are also uh, sort of one, sometimes two arenas. So it's, you're not competing uh, seven or eight horses, like sometimes you might be here in, in Wellington if you have a big, big team of horses. So uh, that's one thing that's very different. Normally shows in Europe are are sort of two, three, sometimes four, and sometimes even five. If it's really, really sort of a, a two-star event with where you can bring a bunch of horses along. So it's much more focused on on less numbers of horses. There's obviously no uh, hunters and equitations. So it's it's only it's only show jumping. It's only jumpers at the international level. What what's also really great is, is that uh, as an as an American, I get to see people that I don't see from my own country, you know. And so I'm competing against you know, folks from all different parts of Europe, and get to see different different ways of riding. Uh, get to hear different ideas about sort of what they think about how they compete or how they train or uh, what that what they're working on with their horse at that time. Uh, so you also get to sort of exposure to all different folks from all different sort of backgrounds and, and and systems then it's sort of as the as the show concludes everybody goes back to their to their home base uh rather than everybody staying back staying at the show everyone sort of after the show is over everyone leaves and, and then sort of disperses from there so um that's one thing where that might be a little bit different than how it is in america where most of the people sort of follow, follow the same tour between the sort of like the Kentucky, the Tryon, the the sort of New York shows, the Michigan shows now, the, the sort of Canadian tour, or now the MLSJ is, is also becoming one tour that a lot of people follow. In Europe, you know, you have all different uh, sort of plans that people come up with, whether they need a five-star event, whether they have a, a Nations Cup show, whether they have a Global Champions Tour event that they have to go to, or two-star or a national show or three-star that they have to go to or get to go to it's either it's a lot of variation and um that that's also what's nice is that uh you can go to europe and, and pick a totally different program definitely each, yeah, each year so you know true. you can go to yeah. shows in france you can show go to switzerland belgium holland or you can focus on a few of those so it's um yeah sort of keeps it interesting keeps keeps it interesting for the horses keeps it interesting for for at least our team because we're not doing the same thing every year so it's that's what I that's what we like is that there's every year is is a little bit different it depends on what courses we have and 
sort of what goals we have for that year or sort of what what few weeks we have uh our goals for the next few weeks so that's what i like about it and um some people might prefer sort of more steadier schedule but uh we like to change things up yeah i love that speaking of goals and especially with wef coming to an end what is something that you are personally working on improving with your riding right now what are some things that you're kind of working on as you're finishing up you know your time in at wef or in the united states and making your way over to europe that's a good question because um for the sort of the last few years i've had uh sort of the same group of horses that have brought me success uh at the international level but now are that are a little older you know um over the last couple of years i've retired two of my old grand prix horses uh b1z and diamante darko and my my grand prix horse c hunters is still still competing now but he's also 16 years old and his competition days are probably coming to an end probably this year and so while while the last few years have been really sort of uh focused on competing and trying to trying to achieve the best results at the biggest competitions I can possibly go with enter with my horse this period has allowed me to sort of trying to build up sort of the next generation of the next generation of B1Z the next generation of Diamante Dargo the next generation of Sea Hunter mm -hmm. uh in the, in the form of sort of a bunch of younger horses that I've got coming along I've got a really nice eight-year-old horse called Kentucky N that I've really high hopes for he's going to be I hopefully I have really high hopes for him I think he's going to be a, a really top ground pre-horse one day but he's still green at this point in his career so I'm taking my time with him he's jumping the meter 40 level now I've got a nice seven-year-old over in Europe right now that that's also hopefully going to be a good horse in the future he's showing a lot of potential about him last year as a six-year-old I have another horse over there that I have high hopes for six-year-old so well, well, the last few years, I've sort of been focused on trying to achieve best results at top sport. Um, sort of the next year, year and a half, two years are going to be probably less results in the international ranks, less ranking points, but uh, hopefully some wins in some other formats, you know. So uh, just as much as I enjoy getting a getting a result in, in a Grand Prix or a ranking class or a Grand Prix qualifier, I love when my eight-year-old, I get just as much joy when my eight-year-old Kentucky jumps double clear in the one-star Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago in Live Oak, you know, that, that, mm -hmm. that, that's a, that was a new atmosphere for him. We went up there to get him, to give him experience in a, a new place, grass field, a lot of action going on up there and he did really well. So I was just as pumped about that weekend as I was uh, sort of winning a, a Grand Prix with some of my other horses. So I'm, focused on sort of the trying to produce build up my, my next generation of horses uh along with this past year i started a horse shipping company called mainstream and uh that's taken up a lot of my time the last few months nice. uh and i and i see that taking up still even more time or or the same amount of time for the foreseeable future and and hopefully forever as i try to grow it out but um the mix of uh sort of the focus from top sport all full focus on top sport is now transitioning to building up the next generation and growing out mainstream let's take a minute and talk a little bit about tack cleaning because it's not just about having clean tack right it's also about the health and well-being of your horse 
that comes in contact with your tack and having beautiful healthy tack that really lasts for a lifetime because our tack is always quite an investment. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Sterling Essentials because it's one of my favorite tack cleaning products. It's premium all natural essential oil powered leather cleaner and leather conditioner and what I really love about it is that there are zero toxins or harsh chemicals, um, counterproductive ingredients, um, so it's just like a really really great purely vegetarian product um, beeswax food grade ingredients plant-based oils and premium essential oils so not only does it smell amazing but you can really enjoy the feel of really clean leather without all the sticky leftover cleaning product residue soap scum white film glycerin or the slipperiness or oiliness that's often caused by other cleaners and conditioners so for more information, visit their website at sterling-essentials.com. That's S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G-essentials.com. And I also have a promo code if you want to give it a try. So use the discount code Bethany, B-E-T-H-A-N-Y, for 30% off. This does not include bundles and terms apply, so you can see their policies on their website for more information. But I think it's a great opportunity to give some of their products a try. So again, that is Sterling Essentials. Yeah, tell me a little bit about mainstream. What gave you the idea to do something like this? How do you, um, I'm also one who likes to juggle multiple businesses at once. So um, what do you do to kind of keep things organized to be able to uh, like have enough energy to do well at both areas? It's for sure tough. So it, it started basically like two years ago. I had some health problems. I had a seizure in my sleep uh, two years ago. And so it was out of commission from the from the competition arena for about eight weeks. So I was sit, sitting on the sidelines thinking a lot about, shoot, I really want to get back to riding, you know, trying to talk to my doctor, trying to dislocate my shoulder. So I was trying to nurse my so shoulder back. I was talking to the physio and I was like, you know, I, I want to get back to riding. I want to get back to riding. I want to compete. You know, I have good orders at the moment. I want to get back in there, you know? While I was on the sidelines, I started thinking about like, shoot, well, maybe I, if this happens ever again, or, you know, if I have another injury or something, something goes wrong, I'd love to have a business along alongside my riding that I can do within the horse world. So then I was like, I go to Europe every year, fly my fly our horses back and forth. Maybe I can sort of look into the shipping industry and see if I can figure out a way to do it just for our stable, you know, just, just for our horses and my brother's horses or whatever, or maybe some close friends and then I dislocated my shoulder again last year. I fell off and popped it out again. And then I was again on the sidelines. Uh, and then I was like, well, I, I dabbled at the idea a few years ago. Then I looked more into it mm -hmm. more seriously last year. That process started in February. Actually, I never forget. I was talking to a friend at the Sunshine Tour where I was last year during this time. And he runs a forest clearing company. Uh, and he's a top rider. His name is Max Gunner. And... and I was like, Max, how do you, how do you do it? You know, how do you, he's a, he's the director of a big company and he's yeah top 20 rider in the world right now. So I was like, how do you do it? He's like, yeah, I have a super team that helps me a lot with the horses. And then I do my business work in the, in the morning and then the afternoon. And then I ride sometimes or before I go to work or sometimes just after work in the evening. And th then that's how I ba balance both, but it's, it's pretty hectic, but you have to have a good team behind you. And that's, that's really how, how I make it work with my riding and mainstream. You know, I have 
great folks that helped me out and have helped me out from, from the beginning. So my coach is obviously super, super important because he, he uh, oversees sort of the, the, the training of my horses and he sort of get drone gives me advice on what, what I need to do and what shows I need to be going to. And then my brother is also super involved in that. He sort of manages the stable and, and, and our entire team within the stable. My parents are obviously incredibly important. Uh, they're super supportive. My mom helps me out with the receiving end of horses when they arrive here to the, to the United States. I have a lovely girlfriend. She helps me out with receiving horses over in Europe. And then uh, some other folks who have had a long conversations with within the shipping industry that I've asked a bunch of just sort of basic dumb questions to because I need to learn it. Yeah. Uh, who helped me out. And that's that's sort of how I try to balance both. Uh, for sure, days are super busy. For sure, some days I'm like, shoot, I wish I could focus a little bit more on my horses today, focus a little bit more on mainstream. But sort of the beginning of the week, it's a lot of mainstream work along with riding in the in the afternoons. And then uh, sort of towards the weekend, everything for the shipments is hopefully all set up at that point. Everything's just ready to roll. And then I can focus more on the horses when the weekend rolls around. I mean, it's pretty incredible. I, I know for me personally, I do better when I have like, an organized but full schedule. Like if I have just a couple things that day, I feel like I procrastinate and either don't get them done or get them done last minute. But I think it like looking at your life, you know, like zooming out at it and seeing, you know, what you had been doing and having, you know, a successful career riding. And now that you're able to maintain that while also building a whole other business uh, and you know in the same amount of time that you were doing the one business before I mean it's got to be empowering that that you're able to do both and do both really well yeah cheers thank you yeah but yeah. I, I put a lot of put a lot of work into into mainstream over the last uh year and made a bunch of mistakes <laughs> made a bunch of mistakes along the way, yeah. which I knew <laughs> which I knew would happen and but I've had to, I've had to make those mistakes uh, in order to learn, you know, uh, I made a mistake today, unfortunately, with with the just one mistake over in Europe that I take the blame for had to have a tough conversation with the client, but mm -hmm. uh, they understood and, and they were they were forgiving. And um, fortunately, we, we saw the situation. So everything's fine now. But uh, yeah, of course, a bunch of people, yeah, had to had to screw up a bunch of times in order to get it right. Definitely. Um, and now, uh, now I've had a bunch of screw ups that that now we're pretty, pretty solid. Everything runs most of the time pretty smoothly, hopefully. <laughs> um, but now uh, as the season comes close, a bunch of uh, our, our season also is going to wrap up here in Florida in a few weeks. We're going to be heading back to Europe uh, sort of the third week of April and then competing over there and then see how we can grow it out, both the horses and, and, and mainstream. You have a lot of big goals, especially, you know, riding goals I've heard um, of being top 10 in the world. How do you go about creating a plan to achieve, you know, a goal like that? What, how is it that um, like stuff that you're doing now contributing to that goal and, you know, that, that world ranking overall? Yeah. So that's a good question because the work that I'm doing now hopefully leads to a higher totally, world ranking yeah. in the future. Uh, cause the only way to achieve a high world ranking in the future is to have, yeah, have, have a great team of horses that you're really a pair with each and every one. Uh, and that's why sort of over the last few years, we've 
been able to buy some some good young horses that I've basically ridden since five or six years old to hopefully when they're nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, that I really know them and they really know me. And then we can have a lot of success together. Uh, because so for example, my, my two top horses, well, my two horses that I'm working with now, Kentucky and, and, and Lardarello and another horse, Major Tam, we bought as four-year-old, six-year-old and another six-year-old. So hopefully the, the work that I'm doing now producing these horses will eventually hopefully be Grand Prix horses in the future that then we can sort of achieve great results with and uh, have a lot of success, hopefully jump on some U.S. teams in the future when when they're ready and when we're ready as a pair. But that's obviously what um, I'm trying to do now. I wish I'd, I wish I'd been doing it a little bit more a few years ago, then I wouldn't be in the situation where sort of my older horses are, are coming to the end of their sport or, sporting career and I'm having to take a step back from from competing at a lot of international shows to sort of doing more smaller shows to then hopefully get back to the international shows i wish i had been producing horses years ago but <laughs> to be honest i probably wasn't ready for it uh yeah. i was really focused on the on the my older horse at that time i was competing a lot of bigger shows and the, and the mentality that sort of maintain in order to have success at the international shows is, is a little bit different than the mentality i have now with these younger horses like in that um, sort of when I go to an international show with a horse that I have a great match with, that I have, feel can have really good success with, you know, thinking about trying to prepare everything so that I can go into that Grand Prix on Sunday and jump clear on, hopefully win the jump off. With these younger horses, maybe it's it's a lot more sort of slower rounds, more more training rounds, um, more rounds that sort of are trying to teach the horse uh, how to jump in the best possible way, how to get him riding in a way that is going to be sustainable and allows to jump some of the biggest tracks in the world rather than trying to win sort of the, the seven-year-old class on Thursday, you know? So that's some things that are a little different, but um, it's all hopefully worth it in a few years from now. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What would you say is something that you're passionate about in the industry that you feel like people either don't talk a lot about or don't know that much about? I think in America, it's probably not as talked about as, in Europe, like sort of the producing of, of horses, producing younger horses from, from the beginning, four, five, six, seven years old to sort of become uh, sort of the best possible horses they can be when they're eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, you know? Um, so, so production of horses here in the United States. And then that's one thing that maybe is not, it's not as talked about here in the United States, whereas in Europe, it's, it's really what everybody is talking about in, in the United States or in Europe, excuse me. And then I think also like sort of the way we can make sort of the entire industry work uh, seamless as possible. So, mm-hmm. uh, for for example, that's that's one of the reasons also why I started mainstream was that I wanted to sort of figure out if I could make a way that we could sort of make these movements that we do from Europe to the United States or from United States to Europe or from Europe to Canada, Canada, for example, or from Europe to the, to Mexico or wherever we have competitions, if we can make these sort of movements uh, in a more streamlined way. And so that's why I started mainstream. That's why I wanted to look into the industry and, and see if I can make it a little bit better than how it was sort of five years ago or hopefully it can be five years from now. And so that's why, uh, that's why yeah. actually our motto is streamlined horse transport because we try to provide sort of a, a, a one-stop shop for a horse, your a horse's movement from, from the origin to the destination, whether it's from 
somebody's home stable to to a competition or to to another person's stable we try to make it as simple as possible as less hassle as possible mm-hmm. try to make it sort of the best possible uh, experience and care for the horse during the shipment yeah i love that i think that's so important and i have to know because our team was fortunate enough to spend time during wef last year we rented your farm in wellington i have to know where did the name sleepy p come from yeah, so Sleepy Pea came from uh, sort of our family's history in Texas. We had a ranch uh, north of Dallas and then a small town called Bartonville. And uh, our family bought the ranch a long time ago. And at that, a lot of the ranches in Texas are named sort of like Lazy R, Lazy Q, or uh-huh. sort, of, um, sort of like like four sixes. Some is a, is a famous ranch in Texas. So there's sort of that sort of vibe, you know. And uh, the ranch that we bought was called Lazy P, and it was a P on its side. But we didn't really like the name Lazy P. Didn't mm-hmm. really like how it came off. So we, because the P was on its side, it was also sleeping. So uh, <laughs> that's how we came up with Sleepy P. And then it started off as Sleepy Ranch, Sleepy P Ranch, and that was only sort of our brand in Texas. But we've carried that with us, and now our farm in Florida is still called uh, Sleepy P Ranch. And over in Europe, we have uh, Sleepy P Ranch. In, in Europe and our right on the front of our stable in Europe. So it's sort of goes with us wherever we go because it's sort of our our brand, our our sort of our image. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's such a cool story. And I, I when I, I remember first seeing the logo and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so creative. I love it. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, Lucas, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great having you on, hearing a little bit of your story. I think what you're doing as a rider and a business owner in the industry is so great and so important. So I'm excited to continue to watch your journey and I wish you all the best. Cheers. Thank you so much. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.